Come on, somebody just say amen. amen. I'm excited, I'm excited, I'm excited about what God is doing, and I, I believe that we have an awesome, awesome thing planned for you guys today. Amen? amen. Come on, let's just grab somebody's tent. Let's get right into this thing. Come on, Father, open our ears this day that we may just simply hear your voice, God. We came here desiring to partake of your bread of life, Father God. Uh, we, we desire to hear your spoken word come to life in our hearts, that you would deposit seed, God, that it may bear fruit into us, God, that we may truly be able to experience a uh, fruition of your spirit, God, that we can really feel and know what you are doing, that it will bear fruit, that we don't come to hear and do nothing about it, but we came for true change, God. For God, it is you who desires to mold us and to craft us in the way in which you see fit, Father. And so this we pray in Jesus' name. And the church says amen. I want to speak to you today about being in an awkward position. Yes. It has been my experience in life and that some of the greatest things that God has done through my life has been through very awkward ways. Very seemingly weird manners God works in my life. If you've had a true experience with God over the course of your life, you will understand that God will work in your life in weird ways. Somebody just say weird ways. Ways that seem just flat out awkward that, that, that you just, I, you never saw it coming. And so because of that, I entitled my message today, it didn't go down how I thought it did. Yeah, you're going to understand this in a minute. I'm excited today because I know what God has for you, in store for you. Amen? It seems that many times, and somebody say amen to this, that we don't understand why things happen to us. We can't understand why we are sick or why we had to go through some traumatic experience within our lives. And, and maybe you were born into a circumstance that defy logic. Or maybe you've been born with some issues, some diseases and, that run in your family and you can't understand why. And I would, I would challenge you today, the single greatest question you will ever ask God is why. It will be the most repetitious prayer you will pray to the Father is why God, why me? I don't understand why me, why, why? Why? Why does my life have to be this way? If you've not yet faced this type of situation, trust and believe that you will come to that point in your walk with Christ. But today, we're going to give you a glimmer of hope. Somebody say amen. So turn with me in your Bibles to John, the ninth chapter, verses 1 through 11. It might be prefaced in your Bibles as Jesus still out of the world. But I want to look at this scripture in depth and just talk about some things. Amen. Just want to talk to you today. <clears throat> And the word of God reads in John, the ninth chapter, and I'll be reading from the King James Version, verses 1 right now. And as Jesus passed by, he saw a man which was blind from his birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, Neither hath this man sinned, nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. I want to pause for a moment and speak on just these few verses. So here is Jesus, our Lord, our Savior, our Master, and he's walking along the road, and he's probably leaving the city at this time, for he had just gotten into an altercation with the Sanhedrin and the Pharisees, and he's leaving the city at this time, and he runs by this man. And I need to understand about this man right here really quickly. This man was no stranger to them, for they knew his life story. Uh, there was a, some consequence. They had, a, they had a knowledge of who this man was. And they said, whose sin? Was it his mother, his father, his parents? Why was he born blind? He never asked them to stop. 
He never asked them to analyze the situation. He never asked them to talk about them. Quite honestly, the disciples were gossiping. Look at that man. He's blind. He must have done something wrong. Ever had somebody just start mouthing off about you? Don't know what you're going through. Don't know where you've been, where your life has taken you, but they want to judge the circumstance you are in, not knowing that God's waiting to show his glory in you. Folks don't understand God's glory needs to be shown in this life. Amen? They knew who this man was. Now, either he didn't know Jesus because this man didn't cry out to him. Understand this, that, that the healing of the blind, as per the book of Isaiah, was going to be the, one of the major signs that this man, who was a Savior, would be the Son of God. Jesus healed more blind people than he did anything else in the Bible. Than any other miracle he performed, he healed the blind. If you could sum up Jesus' entire ministry in a few words, he was just a man punching holes in darkness. If you were to sum up his entire life, he was just a man punching holes in darkness. Jesus declared some things and he began to talk to them about this man. You see, understand, this man had not cried out to him. So he was in a place where he accepted his condition, Minister Melvin. He accepted it. He, he lived in it. It was the norm. He didn't care anymore. This man was okay with being blind. Understand that the, the existence he lived, he, he either saw this as permanent and unchangeable, yet he did not realize that the God of the impossible had sent his son and was walking within the arm's reach of him. And he never once cried out to him. Come on, how many of you are even here today where you finally accept the situations in your life? You've accepted certain patterns of thought. You've accepted certain things, addictions, hurts, pains, or family sicknesses. You've accepted them into your life. And some of you might wait for them to come. Oh, I'm going to get diabetes. I'm going to have a heart problem. My whole family did. I'm going to get cancer. I might get this and I'm going to get that. We, we live in a, a, a level of tolerance to what the enemy is putting in our lives. Anybody know what I'm talking about? He did not realize that the God of the impossible was right. He never saw, no pun intended, what God was about to do for him. The sad thing is some blind people see more than we do. But this man, he didn't see anything. He was probably sitting somewhere on the side of the road. I'll get into his job later on, but he was sitting somewhere on the road and he was just he was just known as the man who was blind from the day he was born. And so this man was facing a situation that he had no control over. That was beyond his comprehension of why it had to happen. But yet some of the greatest things God desires to do for you, I promise you, you will never see them coming. 1 Corinthians 2. Now you should be excited about that because some of you I don't have no vision. You see, you have sight but you don't have vision. I can let that simmer further. You have sight but no vision. You see, you see some people went to the parade, but you don't see that God's going to bring people back in. You have sight but not vision. You see that, that your home is lacking, but you don't see that God wants to bless you. You have sight but no vision. And so this man had, had no sight and no vision. He's in a double whammy. 1 Corinthians 2.9 says, however, it is written, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. This tells me something, and it's exciting, and you may not be excited about it, but I think you should be that. You, when, when God comes to bless you, you will not recognize it. 
It will not come in the way you thought it would come. You will not get the car you thought you might get, the house you might get. Because God says that no eye has seen, no ear has even heard what I have conceived in my mind for you. No, you don't understand. You're not going to see this thing coming. I'm not trying to tell you to stop expecting, but stop trying to recognize what you're expecting. Because what the Bible says, no eye has seen, no ear has heard. You need to expect the unexpected. Somebody say amen. You won't recognize it when it comes, but all you're going to know that it is God. That healing, that promise, that blessing that you might be waiting on, that wife, that husband that you might be patiently waiting on, no eye has seen, no ear has seen. The Bible says it is written. It is written. It's done deal. That no eye has seen. God has something amazing for you. And so precious was it that what God has for you that he did not allow no eye to see it. So amazing is the thing that God has for you, Erica, you, Denise, that God has never let nobody even hear it before. So just like, just truly fantastic are these things that he would not let no one else even conceive it for you. So you have to understand this man had accepted his circumstances. He had no true faith about him. Imagine this man's life. I, I can't imagine a more horrible existence than being blind. I think that I can get through with, with, with being a, a deaf or being mute or being crippled, but to be blind, to have no sight. As a human being, it is scientifically known that 80% of all your learning comes through your eyes. 80% of everything you know comes through your eyes through your experience in life, 80% of every single last thing that you know how to do, know how to say, know how to act, everything comes through your eyes. We are visual creatures, as we've heard many preachers say, and I believe it was Jensen Franklin who said every time he said a red dog, he would ask his church how many of them pictured a red dog in their mind because they were a very visual people. And so he never was able to see the face of his mother, of his father. Never able to see a sunrise, a sunset. This man was living a very dismal life, a very horrible existence. Never able to see the home in which he lived. Never, he wasn't able to know colors or, or, or know anything of that nature. He wasn't able to, to be able to walk without stumbling. He had no benefits of modern medicine, no walking sticks, maybe a cane, maybe something. But he had nothing and this man lived in misery. He could, probably couldn't find the job and was most likely degraded to the task of being a beggar. Just to survive. He couldn't see himself and he probably never would have recognized his own reflection. This man was a man who lived in a horrible existence. He had to be dependent upon others for almost everything and this blind man lived this sad life and it was like this since the time of his birth. In the days of the story taking place, it was customary that if you were born with a disease, it was customary for them to prejudge you and say, well, your parents lived in sin. Your, your, your family did something wrong. There wasn't no possibility that something just went wrong. As humans, we, we always try and look for a reason as to why something happened instead of just realizing things happen. We try to understand every last thing and everything in our lives and why this person this and why that. But yet some things just happen in life. We can't explain away every circumstance in our life. We can't give a reason as to why we struggle or as to why we are sick or how our families have a generational curse. But truth be told, there are no generational curses in my family. All that foolishness stopped with me. That's the decision I made. 
I, I'm not going to struggle with what my father struggled with, with my mother, my grandparents, my aunts. My, I, I decided it stops with me. And so if you would have that same level of faith, and you would say, well, that, that foolishness stops with me, then when something happens, you can't connect it to that anymore. But what happens is if something does happen, well, my, my parents, they have that issue too. And so then all that faith we had before goes away. Because now we begin to believe the very thing we actually provoked and we, we detested it. You with me today? It's about, you know, the time in your life that you looked at some of those circumstances beyond your control and realized that things just happened. Stop trying to understand everything in your life. Look at Job. Job was a man of God. Job was an honorable man. So amazing was he that Satan took notice of him and went to God and, and when they all had their big kingdom meeting and, and even the devil had to go tell God what he was meant to. And, and he said, what have you been doing? To? And he goes, I've been walking to and fro and from the earth. And I, he goes, have you considered my servant Job? And they got into a conversation. It's a long story. In the end, Job lost everything. Lost all his money, all his sheep, all his goats, all his cattle. He lost all his kids. Every single last one of his kids died. And yet Job said something amazing. Job, the 13th chapter, the 15th verse, one of my favorite scriptures, he, he declared this as people were trying to explain away his, his circumstances. His friends came around him and said, oh, oh, you must have sinned. You must have done something wrong. And every time something goes wrong in your life, or you haven't been praying, or you haven't been reading your Bible, you need to go to church more. God's trying to tell you something. No, no, no. You just got into a car accident. Get over it. Every time something happens, somebody wants to send you to hell in a handbasket. You're just not doing this right. You're not doing that right. Oh, you just need more of God, more of this. But Job said, no, no, no. Though he slay me, even if he killed me, I'm going to trust him. Job said, even if he kills me, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Are you trusting God today? Are you really, really trusting God today? No matter what happens, he said, I'm going to trust my God. He declared, I don't understand everything in my life. His wife, probably the one thing that he, he should have gotten rid of, telling him, curse God, curse God, curse God. My father did a preaching once, and he talked about Job's wife, and that was the only thing he really needed to get rid of. Because the entire story, she's like, curse God. He's doing this to you. And Job's body was riddled with sores and sickness, and Job's body was, was diseased, and he was, he was being perplexed and pushed by every angle, but yet he never turned his back on the Lord. I know many of us might be here struggling today with situations beyond our control, and these disciples were concerned if this man had one of those situations in his family. You with me today? Just because you're going through some of the lowest of life's lows doesn't mean that something in your past is the reason. Oh, I wish I can preach today. You weren't born sick because of sin. It was so God's glory could be shown in you. You weren't born with attraction to the same sex because the devil was in your life. No, it wasn't because of some homosexual spirit in your family. It was because God knew he could work something through you because you were strong enough to come through it. God understood these things. You were not born sick because of this. You were not born broken into a, into a broken home with no parents, no father, no mother. But God yet knew he had strength in you so that his glory could be shown through you. Any issues, your depression, your brokenness, whatever it may be that you're dealing with, that, that someone did something to you before your birth, and that's why you're struggling. No, you're struggling. I tell you today, God wants to show his glory through your life. 
you have to really grab a hold of this. It's time that you understood true faith and recognize that God is in the business of understanding and restoring and recovering what the enemy has put against you. Maybe you don't understand why your family's under spiritual attack. Maybe you don't understand why your uncles, your aunts, your grandparents are all passing away and it's not because of old age. And you see them diseased and you see them full of, of hurts and pains and you're wondering, God, why? And I would challenge you today that there is power in the name of Jesus. I would challenge you today that, that actually that the enemy is not against. He's not trying to get the old generation. He's trying to attack the old generation and kill them off so the young generation will lose faith. You, you don't understand what I'm saying to you. The devil is afraid of you. Look to the person next to you. The devil is afraid of you. Tell him. The devil, I heard it said, is so afraid. That he will try to wipe out your entire family just to get to you. The devil is so afraid, as I've heard it put, of one man that when he understood that Israel would receive a deliverer, he sent out all the king and the pharaoh's men to kill every single last baby. And they killed tens of thousands of Hebrew boys. But yet one escaped. One escaped. And there is power in just one. I would tell you, there is power in just one. It was when the, it was when the, the shepherds were, were, were actually seeking for Christ. And, the, and the, the, the three kings were walking to him and they were looking for him that the king Herod found out there was a new king in town. And so afraid of that one man was he. But he sent out all of his men throughout Bethlehem and Judea and they killed tens of thousands of Hebrew boys again. Why? Why? Because they were afraid of one man. There's a power in just one. There's, a, there's, a, there's an extraordinary supernatural power, and you might not understand why your family's being attacked, but sometimes it's got nothing to do with you, what you've done, but yet because the devil is after your faith. The enemy is after your faith. So afraid was he. I didn't come today to really to preach the power of one, but yet there is such a, 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 a truth in the power of one that yesterday as I, I was praying and I began to contemplate about the power of just one person and what one person could do. If they were on fire for God, that the Holy Ghost really, he just came right into my office and every hair in my body began to stand up and I had goosebumps from head to toe and I could do nothing but pray because at the thought of the power of one, my God, you have no idea what the enemy is capable of. He's just after you. Everything you've been doing, everything you've been going through. You see, back in the old days, he would send out all the king's men to kill every single baby. But in our past generation, he sent out someone else called an abortionist. And 50 million babies were killed. And there's people in this generation he's afraid of. He chose this generation for a reason, for a purpose. I would stand before you to promise you that there is something greater than what you are seeking, what you are doing. There's something greater than what you can imagine. There's power in just one person. Abraham was one person but birthed many nations. Moses was one man but he delivered Israel out of Egypt. David was one man but yet he turned Israel upside down for God. So afraid of the enemy is one man. All it takes is one every most great revivals were started by one great man of God. Most great moves of the Spirit were provoked by one man of God. It wasn't by a big church. It wasn't by a big prayer meeting. It wasn't by an organization. But yet one man 
Jesus came and he was one man. And he turned the world upside down in just three years. Understand his ministry was only three years. He only preached and taught and healed for three years. And, and when the Israelites didn't accept him, he went to the Gentiles. And, and understand that by, by the standards of man, he, he never really did what he came to do. But yet by the standard of God, he died and rose again. And yet one man changed the world. What could you do? What could you do? The truth is we don't believe in ourselves. It only takes one to have courage and strength, anointing and prayer. One man, one person, one woman to provoke change in your, in your community, your surroundings, your family. It just takes one person on fire for God, truly burning with passion that cannot be compromised. One person. It just takes one. You know, I was thinking the other day, and I, I received the news, and, and, and I received the news of, um, of Sister Ada. And I thought to myself, how, in case you didn't know Ada, she suffered a heart attack this past weekend. And I went to visit her in the hospital, and it broke my heart. But the, yet the Spirit of God began to talk to me. He really began to speak to me. This is where this, the, the whole paradox of one man came into my heart. He said, ever since you have been in contact with this family, one by one, the enemies tried to take them away. One by one, if it wasn't for their aunt, if it wasn't for Gilbert, and then Pastor Rick's wife going through health issues, it's something, it's always something with this family. And God began to speak to me how he's not after your family. He's after you. He's after Veronica. He's after the young generation who have the faith to change the world. He's not after the old folks. He's using them as a tool. He's after the young people who have the ability to change the world. He's after your faith in God. He's after. He will use your family, your parents, your uncles. He'll use anybody he can. But truth be told, he's after you. Because he knows that if you got on fire for God, you would never be the same. And you would change your entire family. But as long as he can keep you questioning, wondering, doubting, being fearful. As long as he can keep you in the dark. Keep you half committed. Keep you half wondering, half loving God, half serving God. He will do it to each and every one of you. Oh, you know what I'm talking about. Some of us are just half Christian, half world. But if we would get on fire for God, if you would set your mind once and for all, if you would stop being so, so devil-minded in your spirit and realize that you have to make a commitment to God, the power of one. Jesus said, no, this happened because that my glory be shown through him. I love the way he put this. The phraseology he uses is, is very unique in the Greek. It's very, it's very different. And what, what he's trying to say is this, is that my life is all planned out. Jesus is trying to say, my life is all planned out. Every last moment I, I, I spend on this earth, every, every step I take. And my father knew that in this day, this moment, I would be walking this road. And that this man would be here. And that you would ask that question. And he said, my life is preordained by my father. That's what he's saying. My life is totally, completely predestined. I, nothing I do is by chance. Nothing I do is, is, is a surprise to my father. He's planned this all out. And he planned that when, that when he formed this blind man in his mother's womb, that he would omit him to give him eyes. He would, he would forget to give him eyes so that his glory can be shown when I walk past him. You may not understand what I'm trying to tell you today, but understand that Jesus is declaring these mighty things and who he is. Let, let me read the next verse to you so I can give you a little understanding of this. Verse 4. I must work the works of him that sent me. While it is day, the night cometh when no man can work. And as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. 
He was understanding that his life was intricately orchestrated by his father. Every step was ordained and directed. This moment of this blind man was no different. God saw this. God understood this would happen. God knows that you're reaching points in your life, and he will meet you there. Jesus said that he must do the works of his father. He said, I am the light of the world. This is amazing because understand this, that I think, I believe in my heart that the apostle John had a better understanding of who Jesus was than the other disciples. And I say that to say this because he opens up the scripture not from his birth, but from creation. And he says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was God. He, he begins to go on to, to one of, I believe, one of the most poetic scriptures in history. And he, he begins to talk about how Jesus was creation. How everything was made by him, for him, through him, and of him. And he was the condition for creation. And as he went forward now, he's in this verse, and Jesus declares, and John's picking up on this. He understands this. He heard Jesus say, I'm the light of the world. You see, I've told you many times, in the beginning, the, God said, let there be light. And the Bible says there was light. Days later, he creates the sun and the stars and the moon. Jesus said, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Only two times this world has ever truly had light in this world, and that was when the beginning when God said it to be light, and when Jesus walked this earth. He's trying to correlate himself to the beginning. I am the light of this world. He's trying to go deep into this. So let me, let me, let me let, tell you why. As he moves forward, he declares himself to be this light. In verse 6, he says this, and he says, When he had spoken, he spat on the ground and made clay of the spittle. And he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay, and he said unto him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam. He went his way, therefore, and washed and came back seeing. I began to read the scripture, and something really, really jumped into my spirit as we had this experience last week with with Michael Ferris. And I, I began to understand that, as we talked about last week, that in the beginning, that everything God spoke into creation. Understand this. God spoke everything into creation. Into existence, he spoke everything. But yet when he made man, he formed him with his hands. And so here's Jesus now. He spits in the ground. And I, I told some of you guys earlier this week I would be really upset because as a blind man, all of his senses were really heightened. And so he heard Jesus spitting. At this point, I would have said, what's going on? What, what's he going to do? This isn't the first time Jesus is spitting on folks. Read the Bible, I'm telling you, and he's just like, am I the only person who thinks this? Like, what does a blind man think? He never saw that one coming, but he heard it. And so, and so Jesus, this is amazing, Jesus spits and makes clay. He makes clay. The same word clay is used at the time of creation. The same Greek and Hebrew word is the equivalent. And the Bible says he anointed his eyes, but yet he didn't just anoint his eyes. You see, he, he formed eyes. You got to understand, he formed eyes. The last time he had done that, he did it for Adam. He's saying, I'm the light of the world. I did this. this is, I got to fix this. The same thing that you, some would say God forgot to give him in the mother's room. Jesus sat there and he formed it on his face. And he was like clay in the potter's hands. And he literally formed it and fashioned this man with eyes. But the miracle wasn't in. It wasn't in the spit. It wasn't in the clay. What Jesus did was more symbolic than anything. 
The miracle was in the obedience to wash himself. Sometimes God's going to let you get dirty before he gives you your miracle. Sometimes God will let you hit the lowest lows so that you will know that only he could bring you out. Only he could have done with his, what he's doing. Only he can move in your life and shift you the way he's shifting. It was amazing to me that this blind man never got upset. He never said, now why would you spit and just put that in my face? What are you doing? His eyes probably burned, but never once did he complain. Because some of us haven't reached a point in our life that it can't get no worse. We say we have. Oh, it can't get no worse. I'm having the most horrible week of my life. I had a horrible month. My life uh, can't get no worse than this, Pastor. Come on, we're professional pity partiers. Like, we are professional pity party planners. My father used to tell me, I'll bring you a cupcake to your pity party. You want a cupcake? You're having a pity party. And so he never complained. He never got upset. He never was perturbed. He was never, ever just like, what are you doing, Jesus? And he washed himself, and for the first time in his life, he saw. Jesus literally punched a hole into the darkness of his eyes. You have to understand that no matter what you face in your life, you may not understand it. You may not be able to make sense of it. But yet God will show his glory through in your life. Jesus smeared this clay in his eyes. He must have been confused, but yet he was obedient. This tells me that even when I'm not understanding what God is doing in my life, I must be obedient. Even when I'm in the presses of life, I must be obedient. Even when I feel like if I, I can't take another step, I must be obedient. Even when I'm in places I don't want to be, I must be obedient. Even when God is doing things that I don't want him to do, I must be obedient. Even when I have to talk to folks I don't want to talk to, I must be obedient. When I got to deal with drama, I don't want to deal with it. I got to be obedient. Even when I have to face issues and circumstances and, and financial burdens and things in my life that I don't want to deal with, I must be obedient. And God commanded him in his obedience. I, I, I promise you that if this man questioned, what are you doing? Get, get that out of my eyes. Jesus would have never told him to go wash himself. He would have never gotten healed. But I would challenge you that God is trying to do things in your life that you never saw coming. It may not be. See, I bet you the blind man never woke up one day and said, you know what? I think God is going to come down in the form of a man. He's going to be walking down the road. Spit on the ground. <laughs> Mix up the dirt. Throw it in my face and tell me to go wash because I'm going to be healed. Do you think that man ever woke up one day and thought this is how it's going to happen? And I would bet you that the way you came to church, you never thought would happen either. And the way you came closer to God, I'll come to God when I'm ready. Oh, yeah, I will take your little boyfriend that you love away and make you just run to me. I'll make this person do this to you. I'll make this person do that to you. I'll put you in the hospital. I'll do this. Look, look what you're doing now. Where you at now? Where you at? That's what I thought. We think that God's up there sitting there like, you know. See, we have a wrong concept of God. God is not Mother Teresa. The Bible declares him to be a man of war. A mighty, vengeful God. See, see, understand, God has this thing called righteous anger. 
And what happens is that when you turn your back on God, God gets jealous. For in the Bible, he said, I am a jealous God. You shall have no other gods before me. The first commandment, I shall have no other gods before me, no graven images. He's jealous. Kelly, what do people do when they're jealous? They act crazy. They set you up, right? They set you up. They talk about you. Jesus is talking about you as the devil. He will allow things to happen to you. You think God don't set you up? When you sin, he's, just up there. he's not up there crying. He's like, oh, I'll show him. I'll get him. I'm telling you, I think that, I think we got this a little messed up. God loves you. And sometimes in our jealousy, we do stuff that's dumb, but because we love somebody. Is it not true? I'm telling you, God is going to do things to you that you never saw coming just so you can get on fire for God. It may not happen how you thought. It didn't go down the way you thought it would, but yet that's how it happens. I would never have thought that God would have done the things in my life to bring me closer to him than he did. You see, and I'll, I'll close with this if I can get my musicians. Sometimes God's going to tell you to do some obvious things. God's going to tell you to do some obvious things in order to get healed. Do you know what that means? I could imagine, I could imagine, honestly, or all sincerity, I could imagine this blind man met this stranger on the road. We went over this. He spit. He made clay, and then he smeared it in his face. And then get this. You know what Jesus does next? Jesus in this scripture is what I call Captain Obvious. Oh, by the way, go wash your face. Oh, oh no, I was going to leave it like this, Lord, because I thought that it gave me, it just protects me from the sun. He told him the obvious thing to do. Go Wash your face, Carlos. Go, wa- go get all that muck out of there and get my spit off your face. And, and he didn't say to the blind man, I'm going to take you to the pool. He had to navigate his way to that place. Had to find somebody to help him. Why does God do these things to us? Because some of the most obvious answers are right in front of our faces. Things we don't want to do, things we don't want to do, don't want to say, places we don't want to go. It's like the equivalent, I believe in my heart, of him saying, go wash your face. Is just get on your knees and pray. Seek me. He told the prophet Jeremiah, you will seek me and you will find me. When you seek me with all of your heart. Many of us, we seek God half-heartedly because we want change, but don't. We want God to change us. God's not going to change you. He's going to show you how to change yourself. He's going to empower you. He's not going to take over your body and tell you to stop doing this, stop drinking, stop going here, stop going there. No, God's going to actually motivate you to desire change. When you fall into a relationship with Jesus Christ, a real relationship with Christ, you'll be provoked to change. Great things can come from weird places. Even when God tells you something obvious, realize he just wants to see if you're going to obey. Come on, stand with me.
on. Just grab somebody standing around you. We serve an amazing God, and I understand. Come on, every head bowed, every eye closed. That maybe some of you are going through some tough stuff, some tough situations, some, some things that you can't really uh, explain away. You, maybe you face some circumstances in life that, that really just pressed you. Come on, every head bowed, every eye closed. Maybe you face some things that are really weighing heavy on your heart. Weighing heavy on your spirit. But I would challenge you, God's going to make them complete in ways that you can't see possible. God's going to bring you healing, fulfillment, purpose, vision, in ways you can't see possible. Ways you haven't thought. Things you haven't even comprehended. Things you've been missing since you were born. He's going to place them back in your life. You might hit a lower low before you actually see them. You might go through tougher things before you get there. But chase after God. Because God will do exceedingly, abundantly above what you ask or even imagine. Those hurts, those pains. Yes, God says those two shall pass. Those emotional scars, those thought processes that you have to change in your life. Come on, I believe that God wants to touch your heart in an amazing way today. But I think it starts by something obvious. By telling God we want change in our lives. You know, when I ask you a question, and that is, do you want change in your life? From small to great, do you desire change? If that's you, I want you to throw both your hands up as high as you can and say, man, God, that's me. In every aspect of my life, I need some change. I need some strengthening. I need some some faith built up. I need need some, some really power installed in me. Some real motivation, God. God, we ask you to indwell us right now, God, as almost every hand is raised, God. We need change, God. Oh, God, we need change right now in the place, Father God. From the crown of our heads to the soles of our feet, God, touch each and every last one of us, God. We surrender. We, we raise our hands in an act of surrender, God. Speak to us. Speak to us. Speak to us, God. Show us what to do. Show us the steps to take. Show us the places to go, Father. God's calling some people to make some big changes in their life, in your ministry life. And God says, be, be, be patient. Let him work it in you. He has a plan and a purpose. Holy Spirit, work in our hearts right now. Come on, say that right now. Holy Spirit, work in me. I need that change that I know you can do. Speak to my heart. Encourage my heart. Strengthen my legs that I can run this race and that I would not grow weary. Come on, once again, every head bowed, every eye closed. Put your hands out. I want to ask you a question today. Come on, is there not one of you today who says, you know, Pastor, I don't know Christ as my Lord and Savior the way many of you here do, but I want to make that commitment today. I, I want to know God as, as my everything. I want to connect in a more powerful way. If that's you, come on, keep your hand raised. Raise your hand if that's you. Say, I don't know Christ. I, I need that salvation power. I need that strength. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Come on, church. Let's help them out. Repeat this prayer after me. Dear Heavenly Father, 
I give you everything in my life. I welcome you in as my Lord and Savior. And I give you total control of my life. I accept you and your sacrifice at Calvary that you made for me. In Jesus' name I pray. Come on, somebody say amen. Come on, do you believe that? Do you believe that today? Come on, look at somebody in your left, your right. Just tell them how much you love them.